healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I'd like to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Marek Choko from Gravy. Marek, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael, and thanks for having me on. You bet. Great to have you. So here's the game plan. Uh, what we seek to do on this show is challenge status quo purchasing approaches and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Absolutely. Yeah. So to get us started, Marek, I'm going to read a brief bio about you so our audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. Marek is co-founder and CEO at Gravy, a unique health plan that offers employers a shared savings model and employees the opportunity to personalize their insurance to meet their needs. In his role, Marek is responsible for making sure that Gravy runs well as a company and that our employees are able to deliver exceptional products and services to their members and employer clients. Prior to founding Gravy, Marek was co-founder and head of operations at Bloom Health, where he was in charge of all operations, including technology, the call center, account services, legal, and compliance. Prior to founding Bloom Health, Marek spent many years in consulting for Deloitte and held leadership roles in operations at a number of e-commerce companies. Marek earned his bachelor's degree in economics and computer science from McAllister College. Anything else you'd like to add, Marek? No, I think that's, uh, that's a really good summary. You've had a long career in consulting prior to launching Bloom Health and now Gravy. So, so tell us, what was your, your motivation or what was the opportunity you saw that led you to launching Gravy? Sure. As you mentioned in your intro, it's been kind of a long and maybe not a straight path for me, at least, to be involved in healthcare. Being involved with many companies and streamlining their operations during my time at Deloitte, looking for my next opportunity after that, came into healthcare uh, together with my co-founder, who at the time uh, was starting a company, uh, it was called Red Brick Health, uh, that was in essentially employee incentives and health uh, management and health promotion. And the idea was that, as uh, we all know, healthcare costs have been climbing for a long time, and there's only so many ways in which employers can bend that curve. So the, the, the thesis was that if you offered incentives, uh, incentives to employees to behave in healthy manners, that would eventually bend the curve and reduce the cost for everyone. So we worked at, at uh, Redbrook Health uh, on that solution. But as we uh, were working with a number of large corporations, the idea started percolating in our head that another way to look at that solution is really to go down to the basic level of provision of health insurance. There's only so much you can do at the incentive level. And as you know, that we have a few years since then, there's an increasing body of evidence that there's probably a limited way in which you can really impact the core cost through incentives and, and wellness behaviors. Yeah. And until you attack that core health insurance layer, it's very difficult to make a difference. So uh, after Red Brick, we started Bloom Health. And there's a lot of similarities between Bloom Health and Gravy. Um, and that's probably not surprising because all of the founders were the same. And uh, we started Bloom uh, back in 2009. And the concept being is that what we should give people is the purchasing power of the purse. And so we know that individuals are highly skilled in finding the best products that match their needs and looking for the best price 
and the best deal and, and whatever, whatever best matches their preferences. So why not extend that to healthcare? So the concept mm-hmm. was to go to employers and say, instead of picking a plan for all of your employees and somehow trying to balance the different needs of your employees, give them um, whatever amount you want to offer in subsidy and let them shop in the open market and rely on the market to provide the products that bring the solution to every one of your employees' needs and also unleash the skill that every one of your employees has, which is buy what what meets their needs and find the best deal. So that's how we started Bloom. And as you can imagine, there were some wrinkles in that business model simply because it was prior to Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. So shopping in the individual market uh, was not what it is today. Carriers could deny people, can rate them up for health conditions and so forth. During the time at, at, at Bloom, we've kind of pivoted our model to really move into a, a group chassis for defined contribution and then eventually um, had an exit uh, out of the business. The Affordable Care Act was uh, being implemented in 2014, at least the insurance reform provisions were. Mm-hmm. We thought that this may be a more ripe opportunity to, to sort of do Bloom Bloom Health version two, if you will. So very often with our co-founders, we joke that we only really had one good idea and we're just going to keep doing it over and over again until we get it right. <laughs> and and uh, Gravy was really that that attempt um, that, that is, is, uh, we were still involved in. Uh, and it's now that the market can provide individual products that are much closer to what the group, traditional group products were that had the right provisions and protections. Um, it really levels the playing field between group and individual purchase of health insurance. So that's how we started gravy and that was the genesis that really uh, sort of tries to bring the the true consumer involvement in purchasing of health um, health insurance great great well i, I want to dive into gravy a little bit more and un- unravel that uh you know for our audience but let's take a break here just to talk about uh what's happening you know in the country of the covid 19 pandemic and and these are, are truly unprecedented times with much of the country uh self-quarantining at home you know that's where you are right now that's where i am many of us are homeschooling our kids i'm in that situation with my first grader you know many businesses are shut down uh, employees are furloughed or layoff you know unemployment right now is currently at its highest level since the Great Depression and I think it's pretty clear that when we get through this we're going to be firmly in in a recession once that happens I think there's going to be a return to a focus on cost control and I think health insurance costs will be top of mind for many employers but unfortunately I think you know what what most of my listeners know is that you know fully insured carrier products don't offer a lot of solutions to control costs and for the most part it's shifting cost to employees so with that all said what do you think is wrong with the current you know healthcare and delivery and payment system in its current form, given that we're going to have a lot of employers that are concerned about healthcare costs. Yeah, and no, I, I think, Michael, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the environment we are in right now only uh, highlights the, the problems that have been brewing in the system for a very long time. I think it sort of precipitated this uh, in a way that uh, is, is going to bring uh, some of the failures of the current system uh, to light much more quickly. And ultimately, the problem that we have is that the product or the service uh, that um, health insurance brings to its ultimate consumer, which is the employee, is very expensive. And there isn't in many ways at the consumer level 
that that person can make it more or less comprehensive or more or less expensive. The customer base for, for Gravy are not sort of the very large multi-thousand employee organizations that have a lot more resources and can bring bring some other tools to play. But we work sort of in the middle of that spectrum of size with employers who are big enough that can offer some some decent benefits, but they're also not big enough to to have any leverage or or, or can afford to have a large staff to manage those benefits. So they end up offering, you know, maybe one or two plan choices to their employees, where through a lot of gut wrenching decisions, they kind of try to balance the needs of the 19 year old new hire they just made against one of their managers who is, you know, 55 and has four kids, right? It's almost an impossible task if you think about it because mm-hmm. the needs of their populations are so so broadly different. So where you end up doing is you're picking a, a point that probably is, is much higher on the spectrum of uh, plan richness than you would if you were to able off, to offer a plan that matches the needs of maybe your younger employees. So I think it's it's almost creates this year after year escalator because the amount of uh, medical expense that happens to be incurred by your older employees and maybe employees that have families is usually higher than younger ones. And then what, what ends up happening, the youngest employees are probably uh, dropping out of the system because for them that, that uh, type of coverage becomes unaffordable, which even you know, makes, it, makes it even more difficult to have something that's affordable. And so uh, the lack of that choice and the ability by individuals to pick the type of coverage that's that most matches their need is really at the core of, of our problem. We don't have real consumers in the system. We have uh, different players in the value chain where, you know, if you look at uh, carriers, really most of the, the health insurance plans are currently distributed by brokers and, and mm-hmm. consultants. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a carrier, they look at brokers and consultants really as kind of their customer because they don't, they don't directly interact with the customer, at least not at the, the sales and marketing level, obviously on the operational yep. level they do. Now those consultants and brokers, they look at the employer as their, cons- as their customer, right? Not at the, the employee at the end of the chain. So you can, you can see that we have a system where we have a, a very expensive service, which is marketed by various steps in the chain to people who don't ultimately end up using it. Now, of course, the, the person, the, the employer who's making the buying decision, they are probably covered by the plan as well. But you, you then have a very skewed decision process, which doesn't follow the sort of the rules of the market. I think you bring up a lot of good points. I think the consumer is underserved in the in the current system, and you know I think there is a, a lack of uh, customization, you know, for people's specific needs for sure. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's not even customizations uh, for the sake of having so bells and whistles, if you will, but it's truly being able to tailor how much you buy to how much you need. There's obviously limits to that because insurance only exists because not everybody pays in only as much as they need, right? Otherwise, the the system sort of falls apart. But the band that we have right now is way too narrow and sort of leaves a system that perpetually drives higher cost because it doesn't match the needs of the of the ultimate buyers. Marek, I think that's a good transition into gravy, and and so let's let's talk about you know explain to us you know what is the the gravy product and service and, and what specific problems are you attempting to solve with it? Our mission is it sounds simple, it's complicated, but what we've set out to do is is to improve the way that people purchase and access healthcare. And Great. it seems like a like a simple goal, but as we've been working at it for now, well over seven years, we we finding that it's 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 a, it's a bigger problem than we thought when we started. 
And the reason why it's it's so difficult is that we have through historical reasons that I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on, employers are uh, the channel through which employees can access healthcare on a tax preferred basis. And sure. that's a, that's a unique, unique, unique feature, uh, if you will, of the US healthcare system that's, uh, that, we, that we have to deal with. And those employers, through the, the historical evolution of health benefits now, are in a position where without having a good set of benefits, really handicaps them when it comes to talent retention and attraction. So they, had, they really, for the most part, don't have a choice but to have some level of, of good benefits in order to attract their workforce. At the same time, it's terribly expensive. I mean, if you think about the amount of subsidy that an average employer provides to employees, it's probably on par with what their employees are spending on their mortgage. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a massive amount of, of subsidy, which especially employers with sort of narrower profit margins are really struggling with at, the, at this point. It's actually probably a lot more than what people are spending. On yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. So not only is it expensive, it's every year it's getting more and more expensive. And when we talk to our customers, you know, they almost feel that like they are stuck in this escalator they can never get off because every year it's, it's like, you know, another 8, 9, 10, 15% their costs are going up and they don't really have the ability to influence that cost because the cost shifting levers that exist in traditional plans in a lot of cases have pretty much been exhausted because the the only way in which in which employers can can really impact the cost is to increase deductibles we've all seen that that is really much hitting a limit i think average deductible in employer provided plans right now is about $1500 across the board for many smaller companies it's much higher than that by the way and we we also know that most people don't even have $500 saved up for an emergency expense. So increasingly, employees are feeling like they don't really actually have a benefit because every time they have to use their health insurance, they end up paying out of pocket. So not only are they spending you know, close to what they're spending on their mortgage, they also don't feel like they're getting much value out of it. And so employers don't really have much in terms of tweaking plan designs that's left there. They could try shop it with various carriers, but I don't know how much price arbitrage unless some carriers are trying to buy, you know, buy the business. Maybe they'll get, but it's not a, it's not a sustainable cost difference. Some employers are able to self-insure and maybe say, well, I'm going to take a, you know, this really into my hands and I'm going to try to figure out how I can, I can do this in a way that's better than what carriers are doing. And you, you're essentially banking on the health of your, of your population that you're going to be able to manage that. And you're also exposed to unpredictable events that may, you know, make that solution unacceptable. And it's also not something that's doable, but at a very low end of the spectrum for much smaller employers. And then finally, you know, they could drop health insurance, uh, but that, too many, many is, um, is, a, is a draconian measure. And if you want to stay in the group market, that uh, once you've exhausted all the cost-saving measures uh, because of the enrollment minimums that carriers have, that's pretty much a choice. Is a, either you stay on that escalator or you kind of have to drop out. And that's what the employers are facing. So what, uh, what we've um, discovered is that employers really need a way to cap their healthcare liability while at the same time keeping their employees happy. 
because they have to uh, in order to retain the workforce. So in order to do that, what we bring to them is a, is a different model. And the model is not around them trying to figure out what deductible their employees should have and how to tweak their plan, but it's really decide how much are you, do you want to spend on your health benefits for your employee population. And we yeah. give them a lot of assistance in figuring out what that number should be, uh, give them some market statistics for companies that are similar to them. And once, once they've decided on that number, we take over in terms of what their employees can buy uh, with their defined contribution. We rely on the individual market, and there's now ways for which employers can take their de- defined contribution and on a pre-tax basis give it to their employees to shop in the individual market. Uh, with their ICHRA or individual coverage HRA contribution, that gives them the same tax benefit as they would in a, in a group market. But now what this employer can do is set that contribution at a certain level and then employees take that and shop for either a richer or, or, or more comprehensive plan in the open market. In some cases, depending on the employer situation, we're also able to bring our own proprietary products, which bring some more features that you wouldn't find in the open market and also give some more cost savings to employers for which that solution makes sense. So imagine us being sort of this marketplace, but also a comprehensive support system that allows employees to spend their money and get get the assistance along the way to really understand what makes most sense to them. Got it. So, so you guys are operating a defined contribution sort of platform that offers, you know, a number of things, but the ability for, you know, employees to go out and spend and purchase their own plans based on what their employer has contributed. You know, the, the second thing you mentioned was that you have the ability to offer you know, your own plans. And I think, you know, in our previous discussion, you had described Gravy as a, a level funded plan. And so while I know what this means, I'm sure some of my listeners do, but do you want to take a moment to explain what that means to an employer for our listeners? So as I mentioned before, one of the ways in which especially larger companies have been able to save money and offer differentiated products to their employees is through self-insurance. And what, at the you know, very extreme form, it essentially means that the employer is taking the entire risk of, uh, of health expense on their own books. And very large employers can obviously do that because their balance sheets allow them to absorb that risk and their, their employee pools are large enough where that expense is predictable. That type of solution has historically been very difficult to put in place for smaller employers, especially ones where they can't take on the unpredictability of the expense that comes with self-funding. So uh, we've created a solution that we can uh, we offer in that smaller market segment that not only gives the employers the benefit of self-funding in terms of lower price and some more customized products, but it also gives them the certainty of expense. And the way we do that is we essentially cap the monthly spend that the employer, call it quote unquote premium, you know, it's essentially a, an annualized amount that we project will be spent in, in, in medical cost. And we cap their expense to that amount on a monthly basis. So regardless of how much medical expense their employees may have, in any given month of the year, the most that they will go on, they will pay each one of those months is the amount that we already preset at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. So that gives them the, the cost predictability. And that's the, that's the reason why we can do this on a defined contribution basis because defined contribution, by definition, you have to be able to define it upfront. So we define the total cost of the solution and we manage the entirety of the 
uh, of the operation of that system. So we uh, we provide the stop loss coverage, uh, which is the, the insurance against the, the spikes in, in expenses mm-hmm. uh, month mm-hmm. to month. We also do all of the administrative processing. Um, so it's, you know, taking in the claims that are being submitted by providers. We do all of the uh, employee customer service. So it's essentially a fully integrated solution that the employer, like I said earlier, all they have to decide is how much I'm going to spend on that on that solution and, and we take over the rest. It being level funded, typically, you know, what's associated with that is that there's a share with the employer, you know, at the end of a at the end of a period of any surplus above and beyond administrative costs and incurred claims were against, you know, what was what was actually set aside. Is that the case with, with your, your current plan? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very good point, Michael. So the employer uh, not only uh, fixes their maximum exposure, if you will, at the beginning of the year, they do also have an opportunity to share in the savings if it turns out that the predicted expenses that at the beginning or at the underwriting stage we've seen as, as possible for the year, they don't, if they don't materialize, there is significant savings that the employer can get on the back end as well. To be clear, I mean, this is not, you know, a fully insured product. You know, it, it is, you know, essentially, you know, leveraging the stop loss components, specific stop loss for protection against individual large claims and then aggregate stop loss. It's creating sort of that, that maximum, you know, liability. And so, you know, as I understand it, really helping smaller employers self-fund, really kind of bringing them an easy button, if you will. That's exactly right. It's it's almost like giving them rails on which they can rely, so they don't they don't go off the of the of the path. And you know, especially some of the sort of middle sized employers have dabbled with self insurance before. Mm-hmm. A lot of the prospects we talked to, and they got really badly burned because they said, you know, it's it sounds great on paper, and then one person, you know, one employee gets cancer, and suddenly I'm I'm having to deal with a much 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 larger cash liability that I ever that I ever signed up for. And our system reduces that and and uh, allows them to really have the peace of mind that they're not going. You know, one unpredictable event that they have no control over is going to take them out of the rails. I think one important distinction, and I've been using this as I as I kind of discuss these concepts out in the marketplace, is for profit versus nonprofit. If you're purchasing fully insured products off the shelf from you know any of the, the large insurers, those are for-profit health plans. The, the entire purpose is for them to make a profit. And really what your model, and you correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I would consider it more of a nonprofit health plan from the standpoint that the intent is, is to be able to manage expenses below the budget. And the benefit of that nonprofit status is underwriting profit that exists. You know, some of that money is going to go back to the employer. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And as a matter of fact, we put on our end, we put a portion of what our administrative revenue is, is at risk, if you will, through the back-end measurement of performance of the plan. So we don't get paid a portion of our fee if the plan doesn't perform better than expected. So we are fully incentivized along with the employer to, to sort of manage the, the health of the, of the employees. There is an insurance component in the system as well, you know, our stop loss insurance. And obviously it's any insurance, you use the concept of the underwriting profits to essentially create the reserves that you need in the long run. And you know, we are overseen by the insurance department to ensure that we, we're capitalizing the company properly. So there is, there is a component of profit there, but it's not a, 
you know, a distributed profit. It's, it's a profit that uh, you would see in any insurance arrangement to ensure that you have the, the right balance sheet to absorb shocks. And I think what you're talking about is that you're talking about the stop loss component there. With stop loss, you're transferring risk to somebody. In exchange for the transfer of risk, there is the intent to earn a profit. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, and certainly, you know, there needs to be insurance for large catastrophic claims and, and uh, the volatility that you would expect in smaller employers. So I think that makes sense. As we think about this concept of, of for-profit health plans versus nonprofit health plans, what I've seen certainly with, you know, all of my self-funded groups is that over a five-year period, they will always outperform the fully insured marketplace. And so, you know, you guys have been doing this for a couple of years now. So how has your block performed as far as average renewals and even any any average surplus distributions that have gone back to employers? So far, we've performed very well. Now, I, I want to caveat that um, with the fact that we've only been doing it for maybe two, three years. So yeah. as you said, five years, it's maybe a, a, a better time measurement period. But so far, what we have seen is, you know, essentially 95% retention amongst employers who are on that on that uh, program. And we've also seen that about 30% of our customers that we have on the plan uh, do offer uh, do receive refunds at the end of the year and the others are essentially capped at their maximum exposure mm-hmm. so as a performance of the block we've, we've been doing very well knock on wood and we uh, attribute that to to relatively uh, there's two factors in why that is the case for us one is that we have relatively strict underwriting model and the reason why we're able to do that is the fact that we have the parallel solution that we can offer so which is basically the ICHRA defined contribution model so when we underwrite customers we don't have to so it's not in a in a way that uh, a, a typical carry would underwrite it where either we're able to offer you a solution at the right price or we can't for us it's really more which part of the solution makes more sense to you as an employer mm-hmm. does it make sense for you to be on a level funded product that is fully underwritten or does it make sense for you to go on this on the solution that offers ICHRA dollar contribution paired with a with a, a commercially available pl- uh, individual plan Sticking with the the level funded product, given this, the self insured nature of it, what resources or programs you know are you including to help your employer clients on that platform to manage or reduce their their claims costs? What we have, you know, some of them are more unique than others. So we have medical management that is underwriting and. It also offers chronic disease management. It offers uh, health promotion. So we have very strong attention to especially uh, chronic disease employees who are, as you can probably know, generate uh, a significant portion of the of the medical cost. Through some partnerships, we have access to uh, centers of excellence, uh, transplant networks, some pretty innovative uh, cost containment measures at the, the sort of more of the acute large claim end of the spectrum that allows us to really minimize the peaks and, and really and manage the, the, the cost of the plan altogether. For all of our members enrolled on our plans, uh, they, they have virtual care at uh, no cost, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with the exception of HSA eligible plans where we're, right. uh, we're not right. able to do that. And we've seen a, a quite a bit of adoption to that, and, and especially in the in the Especially now. Yeah. Right. It seems like it's 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 now sort of hitting an inflection point where where people are are much more comfortable using that solution uh, than before. 
that is, is more of a, the typical solutions. We also have, it's evolving and it's, it's becoming better, our own program where we have an engagement platform that allows us to engage. And especially, again, that's, that's mostly geared towards the chronic members in our population uh, in terms of um, you know, things like uh, medication compliance, uh, things like uh, maybe looking for better deals or better priced providers for the care. And this is, so this is a, a, a kind of a, the early stages of the program, but it's showing a lot of promise. For employers who, you know, are eager to see a surplus, you know, it's good to have those, uh, those resources uh, there for them. Let's change gears a bit. I, I want to make sure our listeners have some color to the actual platform and what that might look like f- from an employee standpoint. So if I'm an employee and I'm on that level funded, you know, product and it comes time to enroll, what am I going to see at enrollment? How many, how many plan offerings uh, are going to be available to me? This is one area where what we have today is uh, offers quite a wide variety of choice, especially for people used to coming from the environment where maybe you just have one plan option or maybe two. And so when an employee comes onto our platform to look at their options, they are presented with with eight to 10 plans. It's, there's some variability by employer. So those, as you can imagine, range from you know, higher deductible HSA style plans all the way up to, to very rich and comprehensive of plan design options. They have a pretty broad variety of plans to pick from. And what we're um, really excited to implement this year or release this year is sort of the new generation of that, of that concept where instead of having more of a, a kind of like a Expedia shopping experience where you have a bunch mm-hmm. of different options and we help you pick one, what we are creating is experience where you come in and you essentially customize the coverage to meet your needs. So you start off of a core plan that has a number of things that are covered in it, and then you customize financial exposure sliders, if you will, to create what it feels like a, like a custom plan to an employee. And it's so, so it's really simplifying the process. And we've done a lot of research and we have a lot of data about how people make choices. With choice come benefit and, and also challenges because it's, it's difficult for people to pick out of so many options. And this is more of a natural way to shop for a plan. That sounds like a, a company out there that we've actually had on this podcast called Bind, where you can actually customize the coverage. And so if, if that's what that is, I think that's very cool. Because to, to your point earlier, you know, the 55-year-old with uh, a spouse and three kids, you know, has very different needs than that 25-year-old, you know, single employee who is, uh, you know, probably not incurring a lot of healthcare expenses on his own. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm familiar with Bind. They're in the same neighborhood, not too far away from us. Our model is, is, is you know, the concept is similar, but the way we're bringing it to market is, is a little bit different. From what I understand in, in, in Bind's model, the employees choose to exclude or include certain diseases or specific conditions or procedures out of coverage. The way that we, we're taking on the problem is, is to really allowing them to choose the level of financial exposure for less common procedures. So our core coverage in our plan covers essentially all of the 
call it day-to-day, more common occurrences. So, you know, it'll cover office visits and urgent care, you know, most of the tests. And so the the day-to-day stuff is already covered in the the starting point. And then what you then trying to decide is how confident the person is on what level of exposure they want to take for things like inpatient and for some bigger conditions. And that's the customizations rather than asking people to decide on which specific condition they want to include or not. Very innovative relative to, you know, what is the plain vanilla PPO or HMO offerings that, that are out there. So I think that's, I think that's an awesome level of, of customization. But that leads to my next question, which is that's probably a lot to process, right, for your average person. So what are you guys doing as part of the consumer experience to help members select their customized plan in that model? So we spend a ton of time designing an experience that will be extremely intuitive. And we, we're in the midst of doing a lot of consumer testing right now, mm-hmm. taking a lot of feedback. But what we've discovered is that once you simplify some of that, and, you know, and most people we talk to, they immediately, when you start talking about health insurance, they immediately suspicious because the people are so used to having these gotchas that yes. they think they know how it's going to work. And then suddenly that something happens to them and it works completely differently than what they thought. So it's almost, you know, we we go through this questioning process where they say, well, is this included? Is this included? And our comprehensive coverage in the core uh, covers so many of the common things that it's, you know, essentially it takes away that fear that somehow this one thing will have slipped through the cracks. So by having a lot of that included by default in the core makes the selection a lot simpler because now you can narrow your thinking down to a few things like, you know, am I going to, am I likely to have a baby next year? Do I have anything that I know may require an elective procedure? Things that you can start thinking about, not about even a specific thing that unless you already know it, but even a category of things. And that's what you start using for selecting those levels of uh, financial liability. Now we go through through a process where we try to, to, to at least narrow down to a band. Yeah. So we ask people about how comfortable they would be meeting an unexpected expense. We try to get insight into how much they may already have in an HSA account or some other account from which they can pay. And we could have lead them into a narrower band of that, of that choice. As another recognition of how different this is, what we're also creating is it's almost like, a, almost like an escape hatch where the plan that we offer, this, this customizable plan, the employees will also have an, an option and the employers um, uh, help us decide what type of plan there would be to have to essentially default to more of a standard plan design. Sure. Sure. So if somebody is like, you know, this sounds great, but I just, you know, I, it's, I still can't figure that out, even though we hope that's not going to be the case because we have mm-hmm. a lot of support, they can settle on a plan and, you know, very often it'll be something similar to what they've already had with that employer. If at that particular moment, they just can't, you know, go through it, through it, uh, selection process. This will be the first year when we offer this plan. So I'm sure we'll get a lot more data on how people use it, how they'll get, where they'll get stuck, what will be confusing them. But, uh, but I think that's, you know, that's definitely a direction we where we want to take what it means to have a customizable plan and we'll, we'll continue improving it over time. Look, I think it's great what you guys are, are doing from a customization standpoint and uh, and especially, look, testing, right? I mean, it's all about iteration and, and uh, I appreciate the fact that you, you 
you guys are trying to figure out how do we do it better. And certainly, I, I uh, you know, I think that's going to be interesting to see, you know, where where it goes. Let's talk about customization, right? But as far as like employee experience, you know, with the product and, and with with gravy, are you guys tracking any metrics to uh, understand employee engagement, uh, customer satisfaction, anything like Net Promoter Score? So we track the customer satisfaction scores by, you know, essentially asking employees about their experience and we collect that and our latest customer satisfaction score was 95%. And then obviously that's applied to our current product because the new product has not yet been released. Mm -hmm. But I think even more importantly, we capture a lot of data about the behavior of consumers as they go through our platform just noticing where people get hung up on, maybe that's where they drop off. That unreported but observed data may give you even better indication of how well the platform is working than asking the the, the user, user themselves. So we use both. And, uh, and ultimately, our measure that we pay most attention to is retention, right? So, yep. if, you know, if you can imagine if an employer has employees who are utterly confused and they don't like the product, they're probably not going to stick around yeah. as a customer. So, uh, you know, looking at those three dimensions, how do people use our platform? What elements of the platform seem to be uh, places where people spend more time and engage with better? What do they tell us about their experience and what ultimately they demonstrate through their buying behavior? So you guys have been, you know, really in business from the um, exchange platform, you know, since 2013, but really the new model, the, the level funded uh, platform, I mean, that launched in 2018. So how many members do you currently have on that platform? So on that platform, currently we have approximately 9,000 lives. We've been growing that particular part of, the, of, of our platform, been going, growing at over 100% year on year. So as you know, as you can imagine, it, it takes a, a little while to get enough um, volume into platforms like these. And that's why retention and the fact that the financial performance has been strong, which, which allows people to our employers to stick with us as a solution. And, we, uh, and that's why our retention rates are uh, over 90, 95%. What we hope to do is to extend our growth rate even further through some partnerships that we're currently working on and maybe working with some more brokers who are also sort of philosophically aligned with us, that are looking for new solutions for their customers. They understand the problems in the current systems system and and rather than, uh, you know, going down the path of tweaking what the, their employers have are looking for a new solutions. So, so we are we are starting discussions with a lot of the uh, broker community, and we hope to grow our business through that way as well. What is the target market that you guys are going after? Smaller to mid-sized employers? Is it is it uh, larger employers? You know, where's your focus? Our focus right now, and it's pretty broad range, but we're looking for probably somewhere between a hundred and a thousand employees. Mm-hmm. That's the segment that, uh, for which that solution makes a lot more sense. It also yeah. is the segment where the economic pain and the lack of, lack of solutions is the most acute. That is the segment of the market that is most underserved in this country. Right. You're over a thousand lives. You know, a lot of those groups are, are already going to be sophisticated enough to have looked at self-funded. If you're under, a lot of times, you know, they're in standard fully insured products that offer no innovation and you know pretty much are a guaranteed you know path to higher costs 
look, I think there's a lot of innovation out in the marketplace. And sometimes the problem is that, you know, they're focused, they're private equity financed and, you know, they're focused on the jumbos because they need to, you know, generate returns in a quick way for their private equity investors. Uh, but ultimately, I, I do think it's that middle market that does need solutions like this. So it's good to hear your focus there. If we talk about, you know, in, in your mind, who is this a good fit for and, and who is it not a good fit for? Is there any other limitations you guys might have out there, geographic maybe? There are some geographic considerations, um, although they, they, you know, they're, they only might apply to uh, one of our solutions versus another. Um, and, you know, so when you look at New York, New York has some very unique considerations when it comes to uh, stop-loss design and, 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 and self-funded plans. Yep. So yep. depending on the size and, you know, once you get it, so that, and that may uh, most, that may, may mostly impact our much smaller customers at the lower end of the spectrum. Uh, but other than that, we don't, we don't have any uh, geographic limitations. I think the, uh, the bigger, when you talk about better, fit it's really based on on the type of the employer so when we look at employer who is the best fit for this is somebody who's um, made to some extent that mental shift away from i'm the designer and i want to control what my employees see in terms of the actual plan that they're using to define contribution philosophy, which is I really want to be able to control the financial aspect of it, how much I'm contributing to it, but I shouldn't be the expert in health insurance. You know, I'm busy all day trying to figure out how to be the expert in the business I'm in, and I don't have the time to become the manager of the health benefits plan. So there's the, so there's the, the mental shift. And it's also probably not a good fit for employers who are trying to spend as little as possible on their on their employees. So there are employees out there who who essentially, you know, they they've already resigned to the fact that they they can't have a competitive plan and they just want to do kind of the token contribution, if you will, that may legally be required. We want employers who want to be in the game. They want to support their employees, but they also don't want to be the the designer and the manager of their health benefits. Got it. That that makes sense. That makes sense, especially given you know your platform's ability to you know sort of uh, offer a lot of choice and, and help you know help navigate people to you know uh, you know what feels good for them. Given our environment right now, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about how you know COVID nineteen is impacting your operations uh, and specifically you know what you're doing to help your members. Anything specific you'd like to share? From what I've seen so far, and again, there's there's always a natural lag in when you see costs uh, coming through. We haven't seen an, any excessive uh, increase in, in claims cost. What we have seen is uh, is a decrease in lowering of activity in terms of pre-authorizations for new procedures, and I think that's consistent with, with what we've seen in the market, where mm-hmm. where there's a lot of deferral of elective procedures and people are just, you know, one reason or another, not going to, to the doctor. And that, that's also combined with the spike in the, in the virtual care uh, usage that we've seen. So people are essentially substituting virtual care for a trip to, to the office or, or, or going to urgent care. What we have done is what a lot of other carriers have done, which is included uh, COVID testing and, you know, and all of the associated costs during the testing visit. 
for all of our members. And we've also made it available to employers who want to offer a mid-year special enrollment period for their employee populations Mm -hmm. that would allow people who, for one reason or another, didn't take insurance to enroll mid-year. And then finally, uh, we've looked through our customer portfolio and based on the industry affiliation and size, we've uh, picked out employers where we think who are feeling the most pain right now. And we have proactively reached out to them and offer offered a, a number of concessions in terms of fees and, and other costs that they're incurring just to, you know, it's it, it may not be the the most impactful for them, but it's uh, it, it shows that we, you know, we understand their pain and we're trying to help. Well, I think I think that's great. I, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, employers out there and, and employees that are, are hurting right now. And so, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's going to take us all helping each other out in one way or another to get through this. Absolutely. And, and you know, one other thing I've noticed that a lot of employers, even the ones that had to implement furloughs and uh, and reduce their, their current headcount, they are, they are still trying to maintain the benefits, even for those employers who have been uh, furloughed or even have been laid off on the short term. Absolutely. Um, so I think employers out there understand how important it is to, for employees to have access to, to health through health insurance and trying to do their best. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Well, Marek, we've talked about a lot of great stuff here and, and um, I'm hoping, you know, our listeners have a good vision of what gravy offers. If there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? The question, and this is not even the, uh, this is the question that we ask ourselves is now that everybody to some extent believes that it is unlikely that everything is just going to go back to normal, let's say yeah. in June or July. Uh, you know, how is this going to change behavior by employers and the buyers of health benefits? And is that change going to be lasting once everything sort of uh, solidifies on the economic front? Will everything go back to normal? So in, in other words, will employers begin to take a radically different approach to how they deal with their health benefits to their employees? Or will this be a very temporary blip that everything sort of falls back into place? I'm, I'm happy to opine on that question. <laughs> I think it'll be a mix. I, I think there's going to be certain things that uh, behavior changes, you know, especially with virtual, you know, accessing virtual care. I think COVID-19 has fast forwarded that trend significantly. I think you will see a huge uptick in accessing virtual care, whether it be primary care, urgent uh, type needs via telemedicine, uh, accessing digital behavioral health care services. I mean, certainly we are seeing an increase in, in utilization of those services from all of our clients. And then we're seeing our clients ask for different behavioral health solutions to increase their ability of their employees to, to access those services since they can't do it in person anymore. So the, I think those services, some of those trends, especially, you know, uh, communicating virtually, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we're having, you know, client meetings on WebEx and Zoom. We're having meetings with prospective clients on WebEx and Zoom. And so, you know, some of these practices, I think, will persist. And then others, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to normal. But certainly, I think it's not all going to go back to the way it was. Absolutely agree. And and uh, with everything you said, and, and the, the one other aspect that that I personally, this is my own opinion on how this will change is I think it will drive people and by people, I mean, employers and, and their employees to seek types of solutions that take out uncertainty because in uncertain times where there's all these things that maybe you don't have control over, the last thing you want to worry about is, is you know, what complex benefit design uh, has been 
created and what types of holes and surprises does that hold for me as a person? Well, Marek, how can people interested in learning more about Gravy get in touch with, uh, with you and your team? The best way would be to come to our website, www.gravy.com, G-R-A-V-I-E. Uh, get a lot of questions on um, how we pronounce and, and spell our name. And uh, take a look. We have a lot of information right on our website. We also have a, a very quick way for you to get in touch with our sales force, and uh, we would love to talk to everyone. Here's the question that I should have asked you that uh, I didn't. How did you come up with the name Gravy? <laughs> yeah, this you, you, this is this is a pretty pretty common one too. You know, as any good startup, uh, we were sitting in a coffee shop drawing on napkins and and pieces of paper what we thought was going to be. And one thing that we had on our list of things to figure out was name. And you know, we knew we were going to be in health benefits, but health benefits is just not not a very exciting term. Yep. So as we started brainstorming, what we uh, what we came upon was that we wanted to be, um, you know, so when you, when you get hired into your new job, you get, uh, here's the packet, this is what's going to be your, your uh, job title, here's your salary, and then we say, and everything else is gravy. So we are, you know, all of that stuff that today goes in the benefit packet and, you know, gravy on top, gravy on, on the rest of your, of yeah. your offer. Um, of course, quickly went and checked and gravy spelled as of the, you know, the, the, the gravy you put on your mashed potatoes was taken by a very large food conglomerate and they were probably not willing to sell it to us. So we played with different spellings and uh, came up with, uh, with our current spelling. And that's, uh, that's kind of how it happened. All right. Well, I like it. Unique. Marek, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your, your schedule to join us. Uh, I think it's been a great discussion and hopefully uh, insightful for our audience. Yeah, thank you for having us on. And uh, I, I love your show and I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and you bring a really, really a lot of interesting perspectives. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And to our listeners, we, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Gravy's website and contact information. Lastly, welcome to feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review. It's super easy and takes five seconds. Just open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page, scroll down to the bottom, and let us know what you think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.